physically on your phone with your finger or your thumb whichever one doesn't matter to me um, and while you're finding that I, let's just take a moment and let's just pray just a little silence and just make sure that we're in tune with God this morning all right Lord may our hearts beat with your heart May we experience your presence and your spirit this morning as we open your word. Amen. Well, I, I think Tiffany illustrated it well in the children's message that instructions matter. Um, we had a playset we were building when we lived in Colorado a number of years ago that said, you know, you open it up and it said at the very beginning, this playset, backyard playset, will take two moderately skilled people 15 hours to build. And that was probably right um, if the instructions were a little better. The instructions weren't perfect. So there were times when you're like, I'm not sure if it goes this way or this way, or I mean, it just didn't make sense all the time. So it's probably right that it took two moderately skilled people 15 hours, but there weren't always two moderately skilled people doing it. So that was also the other problem that we had. But here's the thing, like the, the idea of following the instructions, having good instructions, and then actually the thing that, that sometimes we miss that we'll focus on this morning is the preparation to follow through the instructions actually matters too. Uh, building a play set like that needed to get out all the tools and the appropriate tools and make sure all the parts were there. You know, every instruction manual from Ikea to wherever when you build a piece of furniture to Target, wherever you buy your furniture, you know, if you're building it with the little parts and pieces and the little... Uh, it'll say, you know, make sure you have all the pieces first. That matters. The preparation matters when you're building something or putting something together. That's what's happening with the people here. They have been preparing, and frankly, for a couple chapters, they've been preparing. And even for the book of Deuteronomy, they've been preparing to cross the Jordan River to go into the promised land. Um, through Joshua 3 and 4, we're going to preach through 3 this morning, although I wish I could do 4 too. They're just, I'm sparing you that. There just wouldn't be the time. It'd be sermon number 2, and we don't, we're not going to do that today. I won't do that to you. We'll just work on 3 today, but read 4 later as well. But what you see, the pattern that you see, uh, Old Testament scholar Bob Hubbard points out that you see instruction, obedience. That's the pattern you see in these two chapters very clearly. Instruction, obedience, instruction, obedience, instruction, obedience. Pretty straightforward. Sometimes it's God to the people, sometimes it's Joshua, sometimes it's the officials they're called to the people, or the Levites to the people, but there's this instruction obedience pattern. And the really simple, if you wanted to get to the very bottom line of what's there, which could be the bottom line of so much of Scripture, it's do what God asks. God gives the instructions, follow through on the instructions. We could add a little more to that, though, and give it a little more based on what we see in Joshua 3. That is, yeah, do what God asks. Listen to the instructions. Listen to God. But then prepare and then obey. Right? Take those instructions in and make sure you've done the necessary, in their case, not just physical work, but heart work that needs to be done 
to be able to obey. And I think that's an important step that we don't want to miss. So in Joshua chapter 1, at verse 10, you don't need to find it, but the people were, uh, Joshua goes through the camp and sends others through the camp as they're preparing to cross the Jordan River. They're on the east side looking over at the west side. And he says, prepare your provisions. And then when we get to Joshua chapter 3, let's read the first five verses, shall we? It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The instruction there in chapter 1, he said, Prepare your provisions, prepare physically to cross the river. But the instruction here is different. Consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? Well, it's not simply to prepare physically. They need to prepare spiritually for the crossing as well. Now, before you go all modernist on me and try and separate spiritual and physical and emotional as if those are all categories that had nothing to do with one another, they obviously have something to do with one another. They interact all the time, right? So, but sometimes we do this easily when it comes to preparing spiritually. We act as if that has no relevance to the real world at all. May I just suggest to you this morning that whether you're in the room or watching online, that you have made spiritual decisions that have had a physical effect already today. You're here. That was a spiritual decision you made to worship the Lord with his people that physically required you to drive here and come here or turn on the computer or the phone or whatever you're watching on this morning and actually engage in some way. A spiritual decision had a physical effect. When I asked you to turn in your scriptures, in your Bibles, whether it was on your phone or whether it was on in a physical Bible, which, by the way, is the more economical choice, it turns out, when you consider how much the phone costs. Of course, we use the phone for other things. But either way, that was a spiritual decision. I should have a Bible on my phone. I should have a Bible in my hands that had a physical effect in the world that we live in. You had to somehow procure the Bible and probably exchange funds to get the Bible. Those things happened. Spiritual decisions had a physical effect. How about maybe something you're wearing for some of us? Um, I generally don't wear this shirt except on Sundays, it turns out. I have set it aside, essentially consecrated it, if you will. <laughs> some of us have those things, right? We've, we've done that. Um, how about this one? Uh, this is where we have a spiritual effect or spiritual decision that has a physical effect. Let's just look at your month at a glance. Last month, was there ever a moment where you got really frustrated with somebody? Probably. That happens to us. Did you punch that person? No. Morally, virtuously, that would be the incorrect and non-self-controlled thing to do. That was a spiritual decision that had a physical effect in the world. Happens all the time. They relate to one another. They needed to make a spiritual preparation 
for the physical crossing in the river. So the idea of consecration, consecrate yourselves. We, you could substitute the word sanctification if you're more familiar with that word, getting at the same thing. But the idea of consecration is to be set apart for a specific or sacred purpose or in the sort of spectrum of consecration to be holy, to be like God, essentially, in character and quality in some way. Curiously, though, as we read the first five verses, verse five is the one that says, consecrate yourselves for the, tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. If you continue to read on, which we didn't right now, you will notice that Joshua gives no further instructions of how to consecrate themselves. So either they already knew or they got separate instructions that aren't given to us. My guess is they already had a clue as to what that meant. Because if you consider their lives, they practiced the Sabbath regularly. That's sacred time. That's a consecrated day that was set aside. They had uh, practiced feasts. The Passover is a good for instance, where they had sacred days, what we'd literally call hol holy days, holidays, that they practiced uh, sacred time in that way, set aside time. They themselves lived in the camp encircling the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies where God's Shekinah glory dwelled among them. Their lives were spiritually organized and had a physical effect. They had a clue on how to sanctify things, how to consecrate, it turns out. But we can also derive a little bit more from the text, even from Joshua 1 and from the book that precedes it, Deuteronomy. And I'll put it in two categories. In order to consecrate themselves, they need to actively remove that which defiles from their presence and actively embrace that which is godly or virtuous. Those are kind of the two broad categories of things that would consecrate a time or place. So actively removing that which defiles to remove anything sinful, the opposite of God's intent and desire, the opposite of God's character from their presence. That's what they need to do. They had just been given the book of Deuteronomy when it says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth in chapter one. That's probably what it's primarily referring to. It might be the broader uh, Torah or law it's referring to, but Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law before they enter the promised land. It's in the name. It's funny. It's a Greek name for a Hebrew book. Deutero, second, namas, telling, second, or second law, excuse me, law is the word, not telling, second law. They're getting a second telling of the law so they can go in the land prepared. And you can find out from that second telling of the law, guys, don't worship idols. That's a defiling practice that's the opposite of what God wants. God wants you to only worship him. Hey, everybody, don't commit adultery. That's a defiling practice. This is a lifelong exclusive commitment you've made to your husband or wife. When it comes to ritual impurity, don't do anything that would defile you and make you separate from the community of believers for a period of time. So they knew that they would have to abstain from certain practices to consecrate the time or consecrate themselves. And they knew they'd have to be super careful with their practices to make sure they didn't accidentally do something that would defile them with blood or something like that. They also needed to actively embrace that which is godly or virtuous. So when, when in chapter 1, Joshua is given those instructions, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, do not turn from the right or to the left, pretty specific, follow the stuff that's going to make you more like the image of God you were created. 
Follow the stuff that's going to make you look more like your creator, not the defiling stuff. Meditate on this word day and night, they're told. That's how you consecrate the time. Make sure that's what you're taking in. You've put away the bad stuff, but you're taking in the good stuff. Discuss it among yourselves. Talk about it. This should be what your conversation is about. And even further, call people to account. Bring them back in so that they don't accidentally defile themselves or purposely do so. And then the question we can ask is, if that's what they're doing, they're actively removing that which defiles in order to consecrate, they're actively embracing that which is godly or virtuous um, in order to build themselves up as being able to walk with a holy God, what does the consecration achieve? What's their motivation for doing this? Success, in this case, means they're going to be walking in right relationship with God. Thus, you don't want a thing that would defile you and take you from God's presence. You want things that are going to only build you up in that path. Success is going to mean that for 40 years they've been wandering in the wilderness, and now they're going to be able to cross the river when they consecrate themselves and prepare and follow the instructions. Success means they're going to have victory in the new land. Success means they're going to be home. They get that. So the idea of consecrating themselves would not be a tough sell. They're motivated to consecrate because they see it as the only path to true, thriving life because it was intended with God. What's the instruction then for you and I when it comes to something like that, to, to be able to, can we consecrate ourselves? Can we do things like this? Let's ask first and foremost, what would be the motivation for doing such a thing for you and I? to essentially set the table for God to work in and through us with whatever instructions God has for us next. I'll just put it uh, with a simple question. Um, what's the purpose of your life? You know, simple question, right? Why did God put you on this planet? What are you here for? What's God's goal for you? That, that should get, uh, when we start to answer that, that gets at our motivation. I, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 kind of gives us a pretty simple, easy answer. It says, dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. That's that same language of consecration. That we would be like Jesus Christ. It's what God wants from us. And so the question further comes along as you think about the motivation to be like Jesus Christ and what that takes, because we really can't achieve that on our own. We can just set the stage for God to work. I think the key question, or one key question that we ask then when it comes to the idea of consecration, if we ourselves want to be consecrated, if we ourselves want to walk the path that would make us holy before God through Jesus Christ, is do you want to be informed about God or do you want to be transformed by God? And, and we can ask that question when we do the things that would be the actively embracing category. Um, when you pray, do you want to be informed about God or do you want to be transformed by God? When you open the Bible and read, daily devotion, study time, do you want to be informed about God or do you want to be transformed by God? When we gather together and worship, do you hope that from what we're doing right now, for instance, that you're simply informed about God, 
Or do you want to be transformed by God? There's a big difference in those things. You know, I, I don't stand up here to inspire. That's not my primary goal. Sure, that could happen, encouraging, that kind of thing. I proclaim God's word in the hope that God's word transforms us through Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's who we're supposed to be. And it, it is the case that in this life, not every moment will be holy. Not every moment will be consecrated. There's going to be ordinary. There's going to be sacred in this life. But every action we have should be moving towards being holy. Every action we have should be moving towards being more like Christ than less like Christ. That's the hope, and that's the promise of God. Now, ultimately, we know that we cannot make ourselves holy. Ultimately, we know that we can only set the stage for God to work. But that's what you're doing in consecration. Our part in consecration is simply setting the table so God can work. Setting the stage so God can get involved in our lives. God calls us, we participate. That's the hope. God instructs us, we obey. But we need to be able to listen well. We need to be able to set the stage so God can work in our lives. And so we can use those same two categories to consider what we need to do if we're going to consecrate time and space and things in our lives so that God has an ability to work more through us. And so if we just think of those two categories that the Israelites worked with, actively reject that which defiles and actively embrace that which is godly or virtuous, let's start with the first one. If we actively remove that which defiles, that is reject sin, we should recognize that, that we need to get serious about saying no to sinful activities in our lives. Sure, we can commit sins of omission, things we weren't even sure about, but all of us have things in our lives that we kind of hide from God and from others that are sinful. For some, they're more overt. For others, they're a little more hidden. Right? If, it might be something big still within every church uh, across our country and other countries, people struggle with pornography. If that's something that you struggle with, you've got to stop something like that. You've got to get accountability, for instance. But also, we might struggle with gossip. Stop that, too. Also, we might have a cynical heart. Stop that, too. We've got to find the accountability structures. We've got to find the people uh, who follow Jesus Christ with us who can say no to those things with us and say, let's get those things out of here. Those things defile. Those things take you away from God. We have to actively reject that which is sinful because that puts us out of step with God. It puts us out of communion with God. And it starts to put us out of communion with his people too. The second thing about that is though, and this is what really gets us. This is what takes us down these bad paths, uh, whether we realize it or not. To actively remove that which defiles, we live with an awful lot of mind junk food that we consume and an awful lot of mental clutter. I mean, we constantly have stuff going on. Some of that we can help, some of it we can't. But we, we consume a lot of mental junk food. And stuff that works on our soul in a negative way. You know, I'm, I'm a news junkie. I know it. I love to read it. I don't watch it. I love to read it. And at a certain point, I have to catch myself and realize, you know what, I don't think I'm reading this to be informed. This is just entertainment at a certain point. I need to stop this. I need to put this away. And that can happen to us with the news. We need to be informed about what's going on in the world, certainly, but, but kind of engaging in it beyond just that simple information, um, it starts to take us and become a bit toxic in our lives. It starts to poison us more than we realize, to take in things like that and just let them continue to consume us. Because we know the news, for instance, isn't predicated on fluff pieces. That's not what gets people to watch. 
the negative stuff. It's the bad stuff. It's the sin in the world that gets us to watch. And the more we take that in, guess what? It has an effect on us. How about social media? Thank you for joining us on Facebook, by the way, and YouTube. How about social media? Right? I, I got to tell you, I, I see a lot more negatives often than positives. All too often. There's some great stuff that happens on there, some great things that can be done, but there's an awful lot. Just the, the amount of time we put on there cannot be healthy for our souls. And how about the amount of, I'll use a technical term, really dumb stuff that we watch on TV and Netflix and YouTube and Disney Plus and Hulu and Amazon Prime, and you can just keep going on with the list. There's a lot of really dumb stuff that we watch. And you know what? It really eats at us. And it can be the thing that, that moves us in a defiling direction, a direction that doesn't honor God, that's less virtuous because we showed up to watch it or turned it on. Does that mean don't watch the news, don't use social media, or don't watch TV or streaming services? No. It means be better consumers of it is what it means. It means be smarter about it. It means don't let it defile you. Don't let it control you. Don't let it be a whole bunch of mind junk food. If you think about what we watch, if we ate that same way, we'd have serious health problems. Actively remove that which defiles. The other half of that is actively embrace that which is godly or virtuous. And here we can take our cue from Joshua, right? God gives the instructions to the people. God, it turns out, has given us the instructions in how to live too. We don't just have Deuteronomy, we have the whole book now. It's all put together. We've got it. We've got it in print form, we've got it in app form, we've got it in all kinds of forms. You can listen to it, you can read it, however it comes. But we need to read it, know it, discuss it in our lives and with one another. It's not a solo activity. We need to embrace God's actual instructions to us. There's no mystery to the basics of it. We need to actually, I think, also take very much to heart when God says, meditate on this word day and night to Joshua. Joshua is not walking around with a physical printed book like this. Joshua definitely doesn't have the app that wasn't created until after they crossed the Jordan. But he has to have it in here. Right? They had scroll, a big scroll that they would get out weekly or sometimes a little more often and read together through scripture, and they had to know it. When it says meditate on this word day and night, they had to internalize it and know it. And for you and for me, I think that's one of the greatest things we could still do is to memorize and meditate, which we all have the capability to do. To take in a verse or two or three and have that be what's rattling around in our heart and mind on a regular basis. Now, and when I say memorize, just so we're clear, I mean just grab a translation and memorize it word for word. Don't paraphrase it. Memorize it word for word. As the translation says, we all have the capability and we all have the time to do it. And this is part of an active prayer life to do that. We can pray that. It gives us the words to pray. And what that does, when Joshua's doing it and when we do it, when you meditate, when you ruminate on it, when you let it just uh, when, when you're driving to work, when you're sitting at work, when you're at home, when you're washing the dishes and the word of God is going on in your mind, you know what it does? It lowers the mental clutter. 
and decreases the mental clutter. If you wonder how can I think clearly, try this for a while. It'll reduce the mental clutter and focus your prayer life and your life in general. It increases and internalizes God's heart, will, and instructions in your life. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, if you want to know what you're supposed to do, if you want to know how you're supposed to operate, memorize, meditate on his word day and night. Grab virtually any scripture. Memorize it. Internalize it. And you will begin to discover more and more of the heart of God. And more and more your heart will beat like God's heart. The more and more we do exactly what it says in Joshua 1. Meditate on this day and night. The final thing that we need to do is consecrate more of our time quite often. Um, we've consecrated this time. Perhaps you have time every day that you've consecrated to the Lord, uh, whether it's in the morning or the evening or something like that. Perhaps you need to do that. But you can't make yourself holy. We just can't do it. Only God can do that. But we can set the table for God to work. And we do that by making sure we have consecrated moments in our week, consecrated places in many cases, and even that internal consecration of allowing God's word to work in us at all times. Meditate on this word day and night. The other thing that we discover then is when they prepare, when they've spiritually prepared, God's going to allow them to cross the river. But that's coming up next week. That Well, they cross the river this week, but then we get to see what happens from that next week. Um, chapter 4, they really get into it. and We're not going to get into that. You can read that yourself. But if we go to Joshua 3, verse 8, 13, and 15, they'll be on the screen. So start at verse 8. We can see that God will do amazing things, and we start to see what that looks like. Verse 8, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go, stand in the river. Then 13, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth set foot in the water or set foot in the Jordan. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Skip to 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during, uh, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at the town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When did God stop the water? Did you notice the when in the text? It's, it's not, it would, it would seem like we wish God would say, I'll stop the water, and then you step in, right? But what does God actually say? Okay, you're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, big heavy thing you have to be careful with, and then you get to the water's edge, it's at flood stage, so it's flowing fast. I want you to put your, water, your foot in the water first, and then I'll stop the water. Why does God do that to us? Do you ever think about that? Why does God do that to us? Look, you, you have to take the step first. Then I'm, I'm going to follow through. I'm good on my word. But I want you to do it first. If you look at James, you could look at Romans 5 too, but James 1, 2 through 4. It's one of these that you should, if you're looking for one to memorize, this is a good one. Meditate on this day and night. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Can you imagine that when they get to Jericho, and God says, I want you to conquer Jericho, and I want you to do it by walking around the thing seven times for seven days, that they're going to have a faith that's built up to do that if they couldn't step their, water, their foot in the water first and then let God stop the water. Can you imagine if they, when they went to Ai and Gilgal, the next towns that they will conquer along the way, that they're going to be able to conquer those as God has commanded them if they couldn't step their, water, their foot in the water first? God builds our faith. And when it says testing, that kind of thing, it's, it's really proving it is what it is. Showing, yes, you have it. You believe God is able because you did the thing. And now you believe you can watch God do even greater things because of that. Those steps are difficult, but they're preparation so that we can actually be obedient. That's what the spiritual preparation is actually doing for them. It's preparing them so they can follow through when God calls, without doubt. Yeah, we know that we can take Jericho, because guess what? God stopped the water. We have stones sitting over there that we set up afterwards from the river that he stopped. And we can see that a monument too. And then when they go to the next town and they have to take that over, we know that God's faithful here because God did it in Jericho. God builds their faith along the way. God does the exact same thing to us. Their spiritual preparation, you see, has physical effects. And so the question for us is what spiritual changes do you need to make this week that will have a physical effect in your life? More specifically, how will that change lead God to be able to transform you to be more like Christ? What areas of your week do you need to actually consecrate? How do you need to actually make space in your own heart and consecrate that so God can work? What spiritual changes do you need to make that will have a physical effect in your life this week? This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture is when they crossed the Jordan. I really thought when I was preparing this week, that that's what I would be talking about, that God would, God would put on my heart to talk about crossing the Jordan. I, I love it so much, the stepping in and all that. But, but when I really sat down and read that, that consecration piece, just God really worked on me this week to really impress upon me how important that is in the process of being able to ever step a foot in that river. And when I read this story, I focus on the stopping of the water, typically, but the faith required of these people, no one steps into the river until they believe God is able. No one believes God is able unless they have witnessed or experienced God's work and presence first. And we pay attention to God's work best when we actually prepare. When we actually stop and take stock and let God work in us and through us. When we actively seek and listen. When we consecrate our time so that we can actually listen to God and have him work and set the stage. We will never respond in faithfulness to God's call on us if we don't stop and listen to the call in the first place and then prepare. We're never going to step into the river. We're never going to have those moments. We may have them coming up in our week ahead where we really need the strength of God working in us. But it's going to be hard to believe God is able if we haven't taken the time to spiritually prepare for those moments and let God work in us, set the table so God actually can work in and through us 
and make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray to that end. Let's take a little bit of time. Let's pray for what we need to reject and the virtue that we need to embrace this week. Let's pray together. Lord, we take this time and this space and we consecrate it. And we know that your spirit is here. We have no doubts about that. We know that your spirit is even in living rooms, at, at home, as people are online. But we pray today specifically that uh, you give us the strength and the fortitude to reject those things that take you away, take us away from your presence. The sin in our lives, the way the mental clutter, the mental junk food that we consume, God, impress upon us right now and convict us through your Holy Spirit of things that we need to give up that just pull us away from you. Things that may not even be bad when other people experience them, but for us, God, they become rotten within us. Help us reject those things today. Give us the people and the tools that we need to say no to anything that makes us less like your son, Jesus Christ. And God, today we also take this time to ask and fully seek your will in our hearts to ask what needs to be consecrated this week. What habits and disciplines, what spaces and places need to be consecrated that we would actually receive your will and have your heart this week more than we did last week. Lord, impress those upon us and give us the mental and physical fortitude to actually forge forward and do your will in this world. To be able to step in the river when the time comes. Because we're not afraid, we know you're able because we've taken the time to spiritually prepare for the physical challenges and excitement of this world, Lord. Pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.